Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Good morning, Lighthouse. We are so glad you're here today. I'm sitting down on the tab. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, whether you're here in the house or whether you're joining on lights, uh, live stream, we know you could be lots of different places, but you chose to be here, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. As Matt said, uh, we are in our series, The Anointed One, and we're in the third week of that series. It's a 10-week series, and we're kind of diving into that middle part of the book of Matthew, chapter 8, 9, and 10. And this week, we're going to talk about the topic, following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? My name is Larry C. I'm one of the elders here at the Lighthouse. Now, uh, this is from the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew uh, ended up being a follower of Jesus, but he started out as a tax collector. He was the guy that was collecting taxes from the Jewish people. He'd steal some of it and then give the rest to the Roman government, the enemies of the Jews. That was his job. He was a hated man. And he he made the decision to follow Jesus, and his life was radically transformed when he did that. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to follow. But I want to give you a reminder at the very beginning. Do you all know who Judas was? Yeah, Judas was a follower right up until the time he became the betrayer of Jesus. Okay? So you always got to keep that kind of in mind when we talk about this topic and how the Bible uses the word follower. In John chapter 2, we know, we read there that lots of people trusted Jesus in the beginning. They trusted him because they saw the miracles he was doing and they, they heard the words he was saying. But then the Bible says something really interesting. It says that Jesus didn't really trust them because he knew what was in their heart. He could tell the people that were just chasing miracles and the people who actually cared about what he was having to say. He could tell the difference in the motive of the people. This is an incredible, important topic. I spent a lot of time thinking about this and what the scriptures say about what it really means to be a follower here in the last couple of weeks. So in a minute, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 8. And then we're going to read a little bit more of the story as it comes from Luke chapter 9. You have to kind of put those two pieces together to get the whole teaching. Before we do that, though, I want to kind of set up what we're going to read about and what we're going to talk about. At the end of chapter 4 in Matthew, the crowd is described, okay? And the crowd is described like this. There were people there from Galilee. Those would be people from up in north where where Jesus had grown up as a child, uh, people who would have known him. There were people there from Jerusalem. That was the kind of the religious center of the world. That's where the Jews would be. And from Judea, that was the kind of the county around Jerusalem. There'd be Jews and Gentiles both living there. But then there were also people that would follow, who would come to see Jesus, who came from the ten towns. Those were the the Gentile towns. Those were people who were were not Jewish. They weren't part of that whole thing. They were were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And then also from people, uh, people came from the other side of the Jordan. And that's kind of the code word for the heathens in the world, okay? I would be one of them, okay? I'd be one of the heathens in the world from the other side of the Jordan River. Now, this passage that we're going to read is set up in Galilee. It's on the west side, across from the heathen side. This would be on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee up in the north. Um, And there's a great crowd of people there. All kinds of people are there watching, 
Last week, uh, Ben talked about a couple of miracles that happened. And the people who were there for this event would be familiar with those miracles that had happened. Now remember, Jesus had touched a leper and made him whole. That's something that Jewish people would do. A Jewish rabbi touching a leper and becoming ceremonially unclean? That, that just wouldn't happen. There was, there was human touch. There was the power of forgiveness and the power of healing that happened there. But there's also an announcement in that very touch. And the announcement was this. There's a new cowboy in town. You know, the old Jewish rules and all the stuff that goes with that religion is kind of being set aside because Jesus, the king, is here. And when he touched that leper, it said way, way more than we can imagine in that culture of the day. Next, he heals the Roman centurion's servant, remember? And remember, the Jews hated the Romans, and, and Jesus comes in, and he, and he cares about the Romans, uh, this, this Roman guy's servant. He cares about those people that were untouchable, those people that were outcasts that were far away. Something new is happening, something powerful, something different, something radically opposed to what has gone before. And this is the deal. In this new kingdom of God that Jesus is inaugurating, everybody is invited in. It doesn't matter if you're a heathen or a Jewish person or a Roman person. There's, there's room for everyone in the kingdom of God. And that message comes very clear through the Gospels. The Jews thought they were fine because they had this uh, genealogy. You know, they were Jewish people. They thought they were good. But Jesus was teaching that maybe some of them were going to end up in hell. Wow, that's not something they were used to hearing. And then the, the Gentile people who were the outcast and pushed away, well, they were invited in. Everything's upside down. And all of that would be in their mind. They'd just seen those miracles. They'd heard that teaching when we get to the passage that we're going to read right here. Now, um, this is on the other side. This is on the Jewish side. And Jesus, and Jesus has made a command. He said, let's go to the other side. He wants to go to the heathen side. The Jews and the Gentiles, they all knew that Jews didn't go there. And yet that's where Jesus wanted to take them. I want, to picture, I want you to picture this in your mind for a minute. A small boat, maybe 12 or 15 seats there, okay? And uh, everybody, everybody is invited to those open seats. Everybody's standing there watching the boat, and there are three conversations that occur. And these are, these are public conversations. It would be kind of like this, okay? Um, if I came to someone right in the middle of the room to have a conversation with them, and we're having a conversation together, but everybody in this room can hear everything that's going on. So it's kind of like a conversation, but it's also kind of like a teaching for everyone in the room to hear. It's a public event. So let's read the text together. This is Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd or a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came to him. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples came to him, Lord, 
let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Or as the New Living Translation says, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Then you pop over to Luke for the rest of the story. It says, and Jesus said to them, leave the dead to bury their own dead. It's the same account. But then he goes on and says this, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together before we unpack what these verses are talking about. God, your Holy Spirit is welcome here the spirit of truth. And we pray this, that you would open our hearts, you'd open our minds, help us to see the events, but to see past the events, to understand your heart and the core message that Jesus is trying to teach these people who are, who are there on the shore this day. We pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds. We want to see the truth of Scripture. We want to see your heart. I pray these things through Christ. Amen. Now, the first conversation we see here is between Jesus and a scribe. Now, some translations would say a teacher of the law. Now, this man, he was a uh, part of the, the Jewish system. He was a teacher. He was a religious man. He was well-respected. In fact, when he went down the road, people would know his name. He was somebody that was upstanding in the community. Now, he says to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is a little bit dismissive of this man. He tells him, you know, foxes, they have holes and birds have nests, but I'm a homeless rabbi. That's what I am. That's what he tells this man. And he a little bit brushes this man to the side. Now, I think this man was grandstanding. He had a pretty good life. He had a nice house and family. He had all that. I don't think he had any intention of following Jesus at all. And I think Jesus could see the motive of his heart. He didn't condemn, condemn this man, but he, he kind of just uh, pushed this guy to the side. It's a little bit surprising at the attitude of Jesus there. Okay, but Jesus just kind of leaves this man to the side. Jesus is saying this, I have no status in this town. I have nothing except the words I speak. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. He never talks about this man's good intentions. He never talks about his religiosity or things he's doing for the church or for other people. And when the boat leaves, this man is simply left on the shore. That's the first conversation. Second conversation is a disciple. Now, the word disciple means follower, right? So this is a follower who wants to follow. And he says to Jesus, he said, I want to go with you, but first let me go bury my father. Now, I'm not sure, but perhaps he was saying, I need to go take care of my parents until they die first. I need to go take care of those things and be a good son under the law before I become a follower of you. I'll do that later in life. He may have been saying that. And Jesus, again, pushes back against this man. He says, let the spiritually dead in this world bury their own dead. Let this world take care of itself is maybe a better translation of what he's saying. 
And then Jesus adds a little bit more. He says this, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He explains maybe what following is like. Jesus is moving the reference point from this world to an eternal reference point in that statement to this man. Now, the invitation to this man is very clear. He has been invited into the boat. There's a seat for him, but he has conditions. He wants to go bury his father first. It appears also that this man was left on the shore when the boat left. The third conversation, somebody wants to follow, but he wants to go say goodbye to his family and his friends first. And Jesus simply tells him that, you know, if you're coming into the kingdom of God, but you got one eye back at your old life, you're not really fit for the kingdom. And it seems like he left that guy behind also. Maybe that man was more interested in old relationships and his previous life. Who knows what was going on in his head? But I don't think you can just add a little Jesus to the mix in life. You either have to follow or not follow. And taking time to go say goodbye to family and friends and live that life first is not something that worked uh, with Jesus. It seems, as I read these three accounts, that they are very, very abrupt. Jesus doesn't seem all that compassionate towards people who came to him and said they wanted to follow. In fact, what appears happened is the boat left and those people were standing on the shore watching it go. That seems to be the story that we're reading here. It seems that Jesus is completely, completely uninterested in those who want to follow him on their own terms. It's kind of a hard edge there, right? I think a Jesus is compassionate, engaging, and wanting people to come to him. And yet, for these three people, it doesn't seem that he was very compassionate at all. Now, I want to unpack these verses a little more. But first, I want to just dial in just a moment on Jesus himself. Now, it's essential for us to understand that when Jesus communicates, he is speaking God in the flesh. It's God speaking. When Jesus acts, this is God acting. All of the attitudes that Jesus had, all of the motives that were expressed in his life, everything about Jesus displays God perfectly. Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, (laughs) you have seen the Father. If you want to understand what God is like, you can look at the life of Jesus and understand what God is like by looking at the life of Jesus, the things he says, the things he does. There's no distance, there's no space between Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father. If you've seen one, you've experienced the others. So it begs the question, what does this little passage, these few verses in Matthew and and Luke, what do they tell us about the heart of God? What is it that Jesus is communicating, not just in words, but also in the action of of leaving these folks on the shore? Well, there are three aspects of the character of God that came to mind as I was reading this passage and meditating on this and trying to figure out what to say about this passage here today. I'm looking through this, and it's three aspects of the character of God that kind of um, became very, very clear to me. The first is this. Religious practice is of no interest to God. Religious practice is of no interest to God. 
You could say it this way. God does not give a rip about religious stuff. He just does not care. In fact, what God cares deeply about is people following. That's what he cares about deeply. The first man was grandstanding. I'll follow you anywhere you go, Jesus. He was speaking to the crowd. He was grandstanding. He was a respected religious man, yet from a motive standpoint, from a heart standpoint, I don't think he had any interest in following Jesus at all. And Jesus knew that. He was talking to impress the crowd, not as a true follower of Jesus. You probably know that Jesus was persecuted by the religious people of the day. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. These are the people that push back against everything Jesus said. They pushed back against the disciples, the apostles. They were always against truth. They always pushed back. You might not know what Judaism is, but Judaism was the form of the Jewish religion that existed in the first century. And what had happened is they'd taken parts of the Old Testament law and they had kind of let that thing evolve into a man-made religion. And that was the religion of the day. It was man-made religion based on Old Testament principles, and that's what they were pushing on the people. That's what the teachers of the law did. It had evolved to something uh, that was against God. It was completely man-made at the time. Jesus had zero tolerance for that man-made religion. You know, self-direction and man-made religion. All of that stuff is the same to him. He doesn't care about any of that. In Matthew chapter 15, we read about what Jesus thinks of man-made religion. This is what he says to the, to the religious leaders, to the teachers of the day, to this scribe who is grandstanding in front of the crowd. It says this, You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their, their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching merely human rules. That's what their religion had become, just a bunch of human rules, pushing people into kind of blind following of them. In fact, Jesus, later in that same passage, calls them the blind leaders of the blind, That's what he calls these religious leaders. You might not know this, but that Christianity in many respects has evolved into a man-made religion also. There are lots of folks that call them Christians that are just living kind of a man-made religion. They've taken the words of Christianity and they use them, but their hearts are very far from God. So the same thing happens today. This is nothing new. Religion is very far from following God. It's very far from preaching the gospel. Our world, we kind of respect pluralism. You know, anything goes, anything people want to believe is fine. Lots of different ways to God. That's what our society would say. But in contrast to that, Jesus is very, very clear when he says there is one way to God. You don't get there on your own terms. You get there on God's terms or you don't get there at all. Anybody following a religious system or of trying to be good enough to be accepted by God, which is what religion is, obligation. All of those kinds of things are just a pitch in the dirt. There's something to the side. That's a man-made shadow of the truth and something to be avoided. And it takes discernment. It takes discernment kind of at the heart level to kind of ferret through and figure out what's really going on at a motive level within us. 
I would say this, and it may be a radical statement, I don't know, but following religious beliefs may be the greatest deterrent to actually following Jesus. Yeah, you have to put religion aside if you're going to follow the real thing. Religion's not like following Jesus. You know, religion is uh, ideas, sets of ideas. It's religious self-help. It's those kind of things. Following Jesus starts when we take time to understand who Jesus actually is from the pages of Scripture. When we dive into the Scripture and we see his character and we understand who God is by looking at Jesus in the Scriptures, right? And when we understand who he is, that leads us to authentic faith. Yeah, that's what it's about. Working through this passage with the teaching team the last couple of weeks, I've been, I've been reading the Minor Prophets. Okay, the Minor Prophets are those skinny little books at the back of the Old Testament. And those are really poignant, sharp, thoughtful books. Real clear. Oh, man, are they clear. And, you know, they, they segregate. They th- talk about things like outright uh, rebellion against God. Well, we all know that that's not good. But they also put in the same category man-made religion man-made religion that is kind of a a substitute for actually knowing God. God's character doesn't change. God is immutable, right? And he's not become more accepting of people trying to get to him on their own terms today than he was back then. Sincere people knowing God, there's plenty of room for that, but not for the substitute. In Matthew 7, um, Jesus talks about the narrow way and the broad way. You know, the narrow way that leads to life and the broad way, which leads to destruction, leads away from God. And lots of times religion is right in the middle of all that. So the first point I would make is this. Religion practice, okay, or practice of religion is of no interest to God. Okay, the first man who was grandstanding saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go, okay, who was stuck in his religion of the day, which was a man-made religion, Never found God there, and he was left on the shore. But I also want you to hear the second point, because this is a critical point to hear. God offers something to genuine followers. You can be sure of that. People who put aside dead religion and choose to follow, God offers something there. He offers a warm compassionate touch, like we saw of the man who had leprosy. We find uh, God offers acceptance, like the Romans found who followed Jesus. God offers compassion. He offers acceptance. He offers hope to those who seek him in authenticity. So put the religion aside and move into following and hope. Genuine seekers find God. One of the Beatitudes is this, blessed are the pure in heart, those come in authenticity, blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. That's a promise of scripture that we can can, uh, stand on. You have to know this, Jesus didn't reject people from entering the boat to go to the other side. There were open seats and there was an open invitation to people who were in the crowd to get in the boat. It was an open invitation. Jesus said this. He said, follow me. And that invitation is still open to us today. 
Now, remember the other two guys, right? They had distractions in their lives. They had obligations of all kinds, obligations, religious obligations, obligations to take care of parents, probably work. They had all kinds of stuff that distracted them. There were open seats. They were invited into the boat, but they had other priorities that were more important. They wanted to follow Jesus, I think, when it seemed more convenient to them. I think that's what was going on there. There were open seats, um, and it reminds me, this, this whole conversation of, of knowing the truth and knowing that the seats are open and rejecting that reminds me of, wow, sometimes I feel like that. Have you ever felt that way? In fact, sometimes I feel that way when I'm in church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm with them. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it reminded me of a, of a conversation I had with uh, Simi. He's, he's a translator in Haiti. And uh, I remember going there, and we were, we were building cinder block homes. It's February. It's like 92 degrees in the sun, okay? And I got I to gotta confess, I'm weak when it comes to building cinder block homes, okay? That is, that is not my thing. I am not a mason, for sure. And uh, so I asked Simi, I said, hey, um, how about if you and I... Uh, leave the work site, and let's go to some of these homes and talk to all these people about the gospel. And so he agreed. He wanted to get out of the sun also. So we left the people doing the work behind, and uh, we went to talk with people in the community. And I learned all kinds of really interesting things talking to Simi. For instance, um, his father was a voodoo priest, he had grown up in that environment, and he understood all about spirit worship and voodoo. And somehow, he had escaped that and become a believer. And he was now uh, helping translate for people coming to share the gospel. And he told me this. In Haiti, the uh, voodoo religion had come over with African slaves who were imported into Haiti. And what they did was this. They knew that the slave owners were Catholic, right? So they adopted the names of Catholic saints. They blended it with their voodoo religion to confuse the slave owners about what they were really talking about. Think about that. So when a person in in Haiti says that they're Catholic, actually what they're saying is, I follow voodoo. That's what they're actually saying. That's crazy that they took Christian words mixed it into something that was very, very far from faith. He told me that everyone has a household spirit, and they all believe it's a very supernaturally kind of charged society, and they all are spirit worshipers. And I asked him, I said, why don't people believe in Jesus here? There's such resistance to the gospel in Haiti. And this is what he told me. He said, well, they all know that Jesus is superior. They all know that he's God in the flesh. They all know that. And they all think that the spirits are helping them in their current life and that someday before they die, they'll change teams and they'll become followers of Jesus then. But very few do. Like, wow, isn't that a picture of false religion and how many people follow so many false ideas when the truth of Jesus is right in front of them? They understand who Jesus is and yet they reject him for for something that's false. This is the truth. Everybody in this room is invited into the boat. Virtually everybody is invited to become a follower of Jesus. 
And it doesn't matter if you're not yet a believer. You can be a not yet believer and decide you're going to try to follow. You know, figure this thing out. Because following puts you in the presence of Jesus. That's what that does. So you start. You start. You start moving. You make that decision. This crowd is diverse, and I'm sure there are people here who don't know Jesus. This is an invitation by Jesus to come alongside, to be in his presence, and to hear what's true. It's also an invitation to people who are believers, okay, again and again and again, to decide to take steps and follow. You know, as, as believers hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and they, they study Scripture and they know the character of God, God works within us and he, and he shows us the things he wants us to do, right? Okay, and believing, um, or for the believer, the idea of following is to continue to say yes to Jesus and continue to move in the direction of Jesus. But this is also an offer to people who just aren't sure. They're not sure what side of the fence they're on, and they're trying to figure this thing out. You know, there's an invitation to discover the real Jesus from the Bible here at Lighthouse every week. You're invited to explore what's true with all of us. This might come as a surprise as I was thinking through genuine belief and following how does all of that fit together. And I was thinking about the person of Peter. You remember Jesus came, was on the shore, and, and he invited Peter to follow, right? Become a fisher of men, right at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. And Peter got up and followed, right? But as you read the gospel, there's lots of indication that Peter was very confused in the beginning. It wasn't until you get partway through the gospel that you understand that Peter was substantially sure who Jesus was, okay? My Lord and my God. It was a process of time. He followed first, and he actually understood fully who Jesus was after he had started following. He took that step, and things became clear over time. When Peter started following Jesus, you know what happened? He ended up in the presence of Jesus, he heard the things Jesus said. He saw everything Jesus did. And eventually what happened to Peter is he came to substantial certainty. He, became, he, came, he came to faith. He understood who Jesus actually was. It's important to consider some things as you think about following Jesus. For instance, it is a decision. Each person has to make a decision if they're going to follow Jesus. You know, a disciple is a follower. Like the disciples, you have to step off of the shore and you have to get into the boat. That's what you have to do to follow. You can't remain where you were. But if you do that, something very certain will happen. You're going to see God for who he is. You're going to see Jesus. Think about the boat um, you know, these guys got to be in the boat with Jesus. I love the account in the Bible of the man who prayed this, God, I believe, help my unbelief. You ever felt that way? Yeah, you have belief, and yet you got a little doubt mixed in there, and you just need God's help, okay? I believe, help my unbelief. You know, when, when he prayed that, he found the compassion of Jesus waiting for him on the other side. We can trust him with our emotions. We can trust him with how we really feel. He knows anyway, right? We can trust him 
in our prayers. I'm thankful when I hear about all the firsts that happen at Lighthouse. People who for the first time come to church. People have never been in a church before and they come in and they're exploring, they're, they're trying to figure it out. I'm, I'm thankful for the testimony of people who for the first time actually read the words of God in the scriptures, okay? And it leads them to belief. And they say yes to Jesus for the first time. They understand who he is. And they express faith. They say yes to Jesus. They ask Jesus to be their savior. And people who take the first next good step of, of baptism to show their faith. And I'm aware of people who um, have, have uh, for the first time, shared their faith. You know, God is changing them, and they, and, they, and they share their faith with someone who's outside the family of God. It's a decision that people make. There's lots of ways to take first steps. But I know this, that when we decide to follow we get into the presence of God. That's what happens. That's the starting point. We didn't know what God was going to do when 33 people said yes and got into the boat, so to speak, to come to the west side of Finley to start Lighthouse. We had no idea. We used to call it the experiment. We didn't know what God was going to do here. And he's done remarkable things. I remember Don Basel saying, you know, I can't leave because of family circumstances. I can't go to, you know, some missions trip somewhere but I can go on a missions trip to the other side of Finley. And as a believer, he said he was going to go and see what God is doing over there. I remember when a group started praying for <clears throat> the city of Bluffton about what God might be doing there. We didn't know what God was going to do. You never know what God's going to do when you step into the boat. <laughs> you know, you just don't know. Right now, I'm praying for what God might do in County Road 99. We don't know what God's going to do there. And yet, we're praying for that, believing that God's going to do great things. In fact, next week, what Matt talked about, the vision gathering is going to be the next step as we talk about that in more specific terms. But when we step into the boat, we step into the presence of God, and things change. We see God working within us and God working within the world. I wonder as I read this passage, what the people were thinking about who remained behind. Not just the three people that had conversations with Jesus, but there was a great crowd there of people from all different walks of life. I wonder what they were thinking about as they stood there and walked, watched that boat leave. You know, it's only like eight miles between the sides of the Sea of Galilee. It's just a narrow body. It was a little lake. And when the storm came and the wind whipped up, they would have felt that storm. They would have been part of that. And they would have known that that boat was out there in the middle of the storm. They would have known that. And they probably would have thought, how good it has been that I took the safe route. Because those guys are out there in the middle of the lake and look at the storm and I'm here on land where it's safe. They would have thought that right up until the wind stopped and the water became like glass. And they recognized something supernatural had just happened in front of them in that boat that they could have been in. They could have been in the boat and seen that in the presence of Jesus, and they missed that. I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us about conversations that might have occurred afterwards. 
you know, the boat did return back to the other side at some point. And I wonder what those conversations might have been like. You know? Um, maybe the disciples that were in the boat would have talked about the fear they felt. They thought they were going to lose their lives. But they saw the power of God as he calmed the water. Or maybe um, they talked about the demons that were cast out on the other side. We're going to talk about both of those things here next week. They had the opportunity to sit with Jesus in the boat. They had the opportunity to see the miraculous because they had the courage to get up and follow, to get into the boat. Jesus touches lepers and he heals them. He calms the storm. He heals paralysis. He's more powerful than evil spirits. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus saying he could forgive sin because he was God in the flesh. He could do all of those things, right? Jesus offers you a seat in the boat. Whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer, whether you're not quite sure and you're trying to figure it out, he offers you a seat into the boat. He offers you a, a step close to his presence to understand what's going on. So the third point about the character of God I see in this passage, we've talked about Jesus, or God not caring about religious practice. We've said that God offers us a seat in the boat. And final, finally, I would say there's only one way to God, one way to God. Following suggests that we get into the presence of God. That's what following suggests. And in the presence of God is where we find genuine faith. As I mentioned, I think Peter came to genuine faith long after he became a follower the first time. Saving faith begins when we believe in the risen Son of God. When we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that, that he died for my sin, that my sin went on him and his righteousness comes to me, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended. Saving faith comes when we believe the truth about the real Jesus from the scripture. Around here, we talk about saying yes to Jesus the first time, and that's what we're talking about, expressing genuine faith in Jesus. That's the point we move from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. This is the point where we confess our sin, we turn to God, and the Holy Spirit is part of our life. It's intense, it's personal, we know all that, but it's worth it. The result of saving faith is new life in Christ. It's uh, transitioning from self-leadership to leadership by the Holy Spirit. That's the beginning point for heart change, the thing that we all desire. But it all starts when we get up and we take that step. Religion likes to pile obligations on us of all the things we should do and all the things we shouldn't do and all those things, right? Following brings us into the presence of God where there's hope and there's forgiveness and there's freedom in Christ. So if you pressed me to be very real over a cup of coffee at Tim Hortons and said to me, tell me about following. What do I really need to do if I want to follow? This is what I would tell you from my experience. Following starts with actually seeking to know the character of God in the pages of Scripture. That's where it starts. You read the scripture, you see God there. Jesus displays God in perfect clarity. 
And as you read and as you study and you spend intentional time seeking the voice of God in Scripture, you find him there. That's the beginning point of following. The other thing I would add is some of the most remarkable times in my life personally, other than studying Scripture, is when I've just stepped into uh, into something, whether it going on a missions trip or sharing the gospel or um, sharing hope with a friend or praying with somebody. When I step into something significant in faith, it probably helps others, but it really changes me. Yeah. Final word. I think we learn from the account that Jesus calls us to follow. And following requires that we leave the comfortable and that we step into the boat. That's what it requires. And when we take that step for the first time or maybe the 51st time, what we find is that God is there. When we step into the boat, we're in the presence of God. So the secret of following Jesus is following Jesus. Yeah, making that decision putting the distractions aside, deciding we're going to step into the boat. The very first step for most of us is actually just reading the scriptures and seeking the character of God as we do that. <clears throat> Jesus is a perfect representation of God, and as we read his voice in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, the account of the life of Jesus, we can read about God himself and hear his words there. The band is going to come. We're going to do one final song. And uh, this is a time for you to pray. Over the years, I've prayed with people doing job changes and health challenges. I've prayed with people uh, with kids, people who are not believers, people who are believers, people in some of the most troubling times in life that I can imagine. We've prayed with people who've come to faith and people who are struggling with faith. This is a time for prayer. And it's a time to remember that God hears us when we come to him with an open heart. So I'm going to pray for you, and then this will be your time to pray. God, we're so thankful that there are seats in the boat that are open for us, that we can take that step to be in your presence, that your word exposes the truth of who you are. And so your Holy Spirit is present here, and we, we invite your influence in our lives. I want to pray right now for each person that you would draw each person who needs prayer right now. I pray this through Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.